started this morning, I do want to ask, again, I know I did at the end of Sunday school last week, but I'll ask again if anybody has any questions or comments concerning the book of James. We finished that up last week, and uh, I'd just like to, like to give folks an opportunity if something didn't quite make sense, because I know sometimes things make perfect sense in my head, but once they exit my mouth, they don't make sense.
so we know that uh, this would be the James that he'd be speaking of. And what did we say about James back when we started that book? James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So if James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and Jude is James's brother, then this Jude, if it indeed be that Jude, and I believe that it is, he would also be the half-brother of Jesus Christ. But neither one of them begin their epistles in such a manner. Neither one of them say, I'm Jude or I'm James. I'm of blood kin to Jesus Christ. Neither one of them begin, begin like that. Jude begins his letter much the same way that James did. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, or something, uh, and I can't remember if I brought it up when I taught James or not, but there's something very important about this word servant. Uh, and it's the same word that's used in the book of James. The Greek word here uh, that's used is doulos. Doulos has one meaning and only one meaning. It does not mean bondservant. Doulos means slave. That is the only that is the only meaning that that Greek word has. It was translated servant, yes. And I'm, I can't deny that. We just read it. And we read it the same way in the book of James. But it has one meaning in the Greek, and that meaning is slave. There is a, there is a vast difference between being a servant and being a slave. I can be a servant here. I can be a servant standing here teaching Sunday school as I am. But I can also go to a number of other churches and be a servant there and teach Sunday school or preach or whatever the case is. You can be a servant in many places. A lot of people work two jobs. You can be a servant for Burger King for the day shift. You can be a servant for McDonald's on the night shift. But you've got two masters there. A slave only has one master. And that's why this is so important to, to take into consideration. And that's why it's important sometimes. I ain't saying get so caught up in the Hebrew and the Greek of Scripture that you lose the meaning of the passage. Don't do that at all. But it's, it's important to look at some of the terminology that's used and what their definite meanings are. And doulos, the word that is translated servant here, has one meaning, and that meaning is slave. So he's saying, this, my name is Jude, and I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be thought of as slaves. I don't want to be thought of as a slave. And you all don't either. Uh, nobody likes to be thought of in that manner. Why? Because somebody has authority over us at that case. Somebody can do with us what they want to. They can sell us off to another master. They can, they can do with us what they want to uh, as, far as, that, as far as being a slave goes. But... To be a slave of Jesus Christ, folks, what does the scripture say? We're all familiar with the scriptures uh, as far as having liberty in Christ. We have liberty in the gospel. We have liberty in salvation. Yes, we're a slave to Christ, but folks, Christ is the very one that set us free. We should want to serve him. We should want him to be our master. And I do want him to be, be my master. And he is my master. I have no problem being a slave to Jesus Christ. But this word slave has, has, has grown to mean, or it has over the centuries, I shouldn't say grown to mean, but over the centuries it's gotten a, it's gotten a horrible name, and rightfully so, because of the way human masters treat their human slaves. But folks, I have a master that doesn't treat me that way. He doesn't treat me the way that we have had it ingrained in our minds that slaves get treated. He has set me free. 
He has set me free from bondage. He has set me free from sin. He set me free from the wrath of Almighty God. He set me free from all of these things. My master, me being his slave, he has set me free. I have liberty in Jesus Christ. And I praise God for that. But that word servant here, like I said, that, that's a Greek word called doulos. And that word has one literal meaning and that meaning is slave it's not it's not bond servant it's not maid servant it's not servant it is slave and that's the only meaning that that has uh, so and and like i said james in james chapter one when he said he was a servant of god and the lord jesus christ he used the exact same word there doulos he was saying i'm a slave of god and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude is saying the same thing here. He says, and the brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father. So James gives his introduction, who he is and, and where he stands as far as, as far as who he serves, who his master is. And then he says, to them which are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So he's given his introduction and he's telling us here who he's writing to. Now, in the book of James that we just wrapped up, uh, James just kept on saying brethren, brethren, brethren. He said that several times throughout those five chapters in the book of James. And so, so that's how we knew that James was writing to, to fellow believers in Jesus Christ. He was writing to the church. Jude here uh, uh, is, uh, comes out and he just says, To them which are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. He just outright says, I ain't writing this to the lost folks. I'm writing this to those that have been sanctified by God. I'm writing this to those that are consecrated. I'm writing this to those which are saved. Like I said in the book of James, we kept seeing brethren, and that's what indicated to us who James was writing to. But, but Jude just outright says it. I'm writing this to save people, those that are sanctified uh, by God the Father. What is it to be sanctified? What is it, what, when, God saved our, when God saved you, if you're sitting here and you're saved this morning, when God saved you, he also sanctified you. But that sanctification doesn't end with the day that you got saved. It doesn't, it doesn't just come to an end right there. You're continually sanctified all throughout the days of your Christian walk. All throughout the years that you walk as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are constantly being sanctified. You're constantly being set aside for the service of God. And he says that he's writing to those that are sanctified by God the Father. I don't, he's, in, in parentheses here, you could put, I don't, I'm not writing this to people that have been sanctified by man or been sanctified by some priest or sanctified by some other doctrine or anything like that. I'm writing to those which have been sanctified by God the Father. And he says, and he says, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And called. I praise God that I'm preserved in Jesus Christ. Yes. And uh, not only have I been sanctified by God the Father, but in that sanctification, I've also been preserved within Jesus Christ. And folks, Jesus Christ, in Revelation 1, I believe it's uh, uh, 
verse 18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and hold the keys of hell and of death. He says he's alive forevermore, and I am preserved, and, and he who is alive forevermore. That means I have eternal life. Jesus said, he that believeth in me hath eternal life. He hath everlasting amen. life. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have that eternal life. We have it in an eternal being, in an eternal Savior, in an eternal God, in whom is no death, in whom is no sin, and in, in whom is, is no variance whatsoever. He cannot go back on his word. It's not that he will not. He cannot go back on his word. So I praise God. I thank God that I've been sanctified by God the Father. I've been sanctified by he who sent his son. To be, the, to, to be the sacrifice for my sin. I've been sanctified by him. And, and I'm preserved in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died, yes, but he rose again that third day. And he ascended to the Father. And he is sitting at the Father's right hand forevermore. Hallelujah. Preserving Jesus Christ and called. This is important. If you're sitting here and you've never been called... You've never been saved. It's that simple. God calls those which he saves. Now, you could have been called and not got saved. I didn't get saved the first time I ever got called. First time God ever dealt with me. First time God ever laid conviction thick and heavy on my heart. I didn't get saved then. So that doesn't mean that calling is automatic salvation. But God does call. God does call. Those, if you've never been called of God, if you've never had God show you who you are and what you've done, not that you don't already know it, but it's a whole different picture and it's a whole different story when Almighty God is the one showing you what you've done. When God says, you may have hid this from a preacher, you may have hid this from your wife or your husband or your children, but I know about it. When God deals with your heart and God calls you to repentance, then you can receive salvation, but you cannot you cannot receive it beforehand. It has got to take the drawing of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is is essentially God, and He is showing you what you've done. He is showing you who you are, and He's showing you who He is, who God is, and what God can do about your situation. So we get sanctified by God the Father. We get preserved in Jesus Christ. But to, for all that to happen, we have to be called. We have to be called of God. And I thank God that it's that personal. That, that, that's what makes it such a personal salvation. I mean, yes, I can go I can go to God. I can go to God and I can make all my prayer requests to him. And I can ask him for healing. I can ask him for mercy. I can ask him for, for help and guidance and all these other things. But if you're saved, you can do the same thing. But God called me one day. He came to where I was. And he called me personally. That's what makes it a personal salvation. You know, it's not like God just shouted from the heavens to, to all seven and a half billion people that's on the planet right now and said, all right, I'm ready to save some folks. Who, who, who's up for that? He, didn't do, he came to where I was. And he made it personal. He called me personally. And he showed me my personal sin. And he showed me that he could be my personal Savior. And I got saved that day. 
Verse 2 in the book of Jude. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. So he's told us, or he's told us who he is. He's told us who he's writing to. And now he's pronouncing a blessing toward those to whom he's writing to. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Now, I, I, I just said, he made it plain who he was writing to. He was writing to believers. He was writing to the church. He was writing to those that of a like faith, those that have been sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And he's telling them, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Folks, there ain't nothing wrong with us praying for lost people. There's nothing wrong with us asking God to intervene in a lost person's life and turn them toward him. But Jude here was saying, mercy Mercy and, and peace and love be multiplied to you, the believers. I can pray that for the lost folks all day long. And you know what? God might just answer that prayer. But Jude wasn't praying that toward lost people here. He was praying it toward saved people. Why do saved people need mercy? My goodness, I need more mercy now than I did when I was lost. I need to be shown mercy now. Because, folks, I ain't walking around perfect. I ain't walking around with a halo over my head. I ain't, I'm not in any any way, shape, form, or fashion am I perfect. I still need the mercy of God. Even though I'm a born-again child of God and I know I'm going to heaven when I leave this world, I still need the mercy of God. He says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. All these things be multiplied to you. And folks, God Almighty is the only one that can multiply these things. He can multiply mercy. He can multiply peace. Why would he be wanting to uh, ask him to, or saying, peace be multiplied in the middle of all this? Those are a lot of turmoil in the life of a Christian. Mm -hmm. I've heard people, and you all have probably heard, heard uh, lost folks say the same thing. Well, you know, if you're such a great Christian, why is this going on in your life? Why are you sick? Why do you have cancer? Why do you have heart disease? Why, why can't you get yourself up out of bed some mornings? And, and you know, why, why all these things happen? And, you know, it sounds to me like God's got it in for you. No, folks. God never promised us a cakewalk in this thing. Never once did he say that. Not in all of scripture did God say, I'll save you and you'll live a nice cushy life for the rest of your days. In fact, the scripture teaches quite the opposite. Jesus Christ said himself, you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. And if they hate me, they're going to want violence against me. They're, going to, uh, uh, they're not going to treat me very well. And because of that, I'm going to need peace in my life. And we can have peace and, uh, in, in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. Can we have that peace? We, we can have, we can have a, a temporal peace outside of Jesus Christ. We can, uh, we can actually have an artificial peace of some kind outside of Jesus Christ. But true peace, true peace only comes to those that are preserved in Jesus Christ as we read in verse 1. And that's the peace that I want. But he's saying these things be multiplied to you and love be multiplied. To who? To the saints, to those that believe. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to these people. And God, as I've already said, is the only one that is capable and able to multiply these things uh, in the life of, of a Christian. Verse 3 in the book of Jude. 
Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So again, he, he emphasizes whom he's writing to, uh, uh, beloved. Uh, he, calls, he calls these that have been uh, preserved in Christ and have been sanctified by God, he calls them beloved. And he says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. What is the common salvation? Folks, if you didn't get saved by the same blood that I did, you didn't get saved. Amen. That's common. Jesus Christ is common. Now, he, he's an uncommon Savior as opposed to the rest of the world's saviors. But he, Jesus Christ is the common salvation. The gospel is the common salvation. You didn't get saved by a different gospel than what I did. And I didn't get saved by a different gospel than you did. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And it is only that gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. That's the common salvation. That's the common ground that we can all meet on. You and I might have differences uh, as, as far as, I hate to use the term worldly, but that's exactly what it is. As far as worldly things go, as far as things, things of this life go, temporal things. You know, you might like football. I don't like football. Big deal. We can still meet on common ground because we're both believers in Jesus Christ. That's the common salvation that we have, and that's the common ground that we have. That's something that we can relate to one another Amen. on. It can be somebody plumb on the other side of the world. We don't even speak the same language, maybe, but we can still meet on the same, same common ground with the same common salvation in Jesus Christ, and we can praise God together. That's common salvation. But James says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, James is saying, I had intentions of just writing to you about this common salvation, writing to you about this redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Folks, this was the first century church. Things were still just getting started in it. I understand we're way past the book of Acts at this point, but the church was still very young at this point. So James was going to remind them of the common salvation, of, of the common things uh, to do with salvation. He was going to remind them of the redemption that they have in Jesus Christ. He says, this was my intention. He says, but it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. He said, I was going to write to you about this simple thing, this common salvation, this simple salvation that comes through, uh, through Jesus Christ. But something has prodded me, something has spurred me to write to you about other things. That's basically what James is saying here. He says, but... Uh, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We should earnestly contend for the faith. What does that mean? Y'all ever watch boxing? You know what a contender is if you've ever watched boxing. You've got a champion, then you've got a contender. You've got somebody that's going to be fighting trying to get that belt. That's what it means to contend. That's precisely what it means. Now, there is a difference between contending and contentious. There, there's a pretty broad difference between those two things. To be contentious means that you're, you're purposely trying to argue. But to contend just means that you're fighting. 
not not necessarily in a bad way. It could be for a good cause. Like we would, uh, like Jude is exhorting them here. He says, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why would they have to contend for this faith? He just brought up common salvation, folks. He just brought brought this up to these believers in Christ. He said, I'm writing you to exhort you to earnestly contend for this faith, this this simple faith in in, in salvation. This simple gospel, this gospel that's so, it's, it's not simple, it, it's complex, but it's simple for us to understand. It's complex for me to understand why Jesus Christ, a man who never knew no sin, a man who no guile was ever found in his mouth, it's, it's complex for me to understand why he would come here and give his life for somebody like me. That's where the complexity comes in. But the simplicity of it is he gave his life for all. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for the murderer and the liar alike. He gave his life for the adulterer. He gave his life for the covetous. He gave his life for everyone, for every sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus Christ gave his life for them, and that makes it common. It's a common salvation, but he says, I'm writing you to exhort you, to earnestly contend for the faith. You keep a hold of these simple things that you've learned you keep a hold of this faith and you contend for that faith that was once delivered unto the saints he says for there are certain men crept in unawares and he's telling them now why he's writing this he says i was going to write to you about the common salvation but this is what i'm going to write instead and in verse four we learn why He's writing that. For there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the why of the matter. He tells them the what in the verse before. This is the why. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Folks, it's no different 2,000 years later. We have got to earnestly contend for the faith. As much as I love to hear about the common salvation, as much as I like to hear about how God come and saved my unworthy soul, and and how he he made a, how God made a way through Jesus Christ that that could be done through His shed blood. As much as I love to hear those things, I've got to keep in the back of my head there are people that creep in unawares into churches, into families, into work, and all these other places with all these other false doctrines. Yeah. You know, you've got to also do this. Believe in Jesus Christ, yes, but you've got to do this too, or you can't do that and, and still believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. No, folks, it is believe in Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess him with your mouth, and thou shalt be saved. Joel chapter 2 says there will come a day when anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That's all it is. And you ain't going to call upon the name of the Lord if you don't believe he can do something for you. Anyway, there are certain men crept in unawares. Certain men. Not everybody, but there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They've been around since Jude's time, and they were around before then. You can read the Old Testament. Uh, 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 very like things that took place. People, uh, you know, people would know the law of God. People would know the Ten Commandments. People would know uh, these, these things that God demanded, and yet they would be persuaded to go a different route. 
and be persuaded to go a different way. And that's all people are trying to do now. And folks, it, say, it says that they were uh, before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're ungodly men. What does that mean? They're without God. They don't have God. If you're godly, you have God. If you're ungodly, you don't have God. It's that simple. It's like people, and, and, and I've gotten flack for this in the past, but folks, it, it makes as much sense as what I just now said. People will say uh, that uh, to, to get saved, you have to come to God with a godly sorrow. If you ain't saved yet, you can't have godly sorrow because you're an ungodly person. Ungodly people can't have anything that's godly. We can't do that. Yes, we come in repentance. Yes, we, we come with a, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I understand all that. But we can't have anything godly unless we're godly people. It's impossible. It's an impossibility to do that. And he says, these are ungodly men. These certain men that have crept in unawares, they're ungodly. They are without God. But they can certainly present themselves as having God. And it happens now. It happens now more often than I care to see. Don't believe me? Just go on YouTube. Search for preaching. Just type in preaching in the, in the search bar. And you it won't take you long at all to come across a preacher that preaches absolutely false doctrine. And people follow them by the droves. And it's dangerous. Certain men crept in unawares who were before ordained were damned this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They're turning it into filth. They're turning it into sin. That's exactly what they're doing. Basically, it was the people coming in here, and uh, they, they were, and Paul actually addressed this in his letters too. He said, should sin abound that grace may much more abound. God forbid. And this is the same thing that people were coming in uh, that Jude was writing about here. The same thing was going on. People were coming in uh, to the congregations and coming into the midst of the believers and they were saying, that's great that you're saved. That's great that you have salvation. Now go out and live your best life now. Go out and live it up. Do what you want. Do what you will. And that's a dangerous doctrine to preach. Hope that ain't what scripture teaches. That is not what scripture teaches. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's pretty simple to understand. But they turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny uh, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. How are they denying him? Maybe outright? Maybe just saying, maybe just saying Jesus Christ don't exist, but folks, that's that throw up a lot of red flags. How in, in this letter here, in, in this context, how are they denying the Lord Jesus Christ? By turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That is denying Jesus Christ, and that is denying the reason that he came, the reason that he gave his life, the reason that he bled and died. It's denying all of that when you turn that grace and that salvation into lasciviousness. You turn it into filth. You turn it into disgust. You turn it into something that God never intended for it to be. So they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ in these things. And that's as far as we're going to get today. I don't really want to get any further than that because I won't stop. Anybody got any questions or comments?